Hail and well met, friends. This is not Dave Kale introducing today's film film project, but wherever you are, at whatever time it is and whatever date it is, this is Trish Lambert um, with the Tolkien professor Corey Olson for this episode, this session, excuse me, of film film uh, season two, session two. And unfortunately, we do not have Dave today. He has uh, uh, he's uh, has a very very bad headache, and so we miss him. But we were are going to carry on without him. Um, so. Without further ado, shall we jump into this? We shall, episode? yes. What are we doing yes, today? Very good. Well, so today is the day that we are going to decide on the general outline of the episodes for season two to make sure that we have not only, you know, we talked in the last session about the, the sort of the overall like stuff that we wanted to do and kind of, uh, you know, uh, discuss those things in more general terms. Today, we're going to be going back and looking in more detail, thinking about. Um, episode by episode, make sure we really have a plan, um, make sure we can actually cover the things that we want to cover, um, and moreover, really kind of get some sense of like what is going to be the story of each episode. We don't need to m map it out in enormous detail. We spent a lot of time talking about the frame last time, and we'll, of course, obviously, we'll come back to the frame and think about what um you know what what in particular do we want to have going on in the frame in each episode but we'll talk about that during the sessions in which we discuss the episodes themselves um i, I want to kind of leave the frame behind today because we spent we that's why i spent so much time on it last time so that we can kind of settle that um and instead focus on the main storyline and again just make sure that we have a clear idea of that going forward so that we're ready uh to begin the season um first let me make um let me make a quick uh, uh, announcement, um, just to keep everybody up to date with what's uh, what's going on in the Mythgard and Signum world. Um, the biggest thing, uh, sort of the biggest and most immediate thing, uh, tomorrow night on Saturday night, I am going to be hosting uh, one of my roughly annual uh, uh, State of the University addresses, where I'm going to be giving a whole bunch of updates about kind of what's coming up, where what's going on at Signum University in Mythgard, what are our plans, what new programs are we planning to do, what, uh, uh, how are things going to be changing as, uh, as our, our, our programs uh, continue to grow and develop. So that's always a really fun time. I'm looking forward to that. i got some, a bunch of really exciting de developments uh, to talk about as we take some more very significant steps forward uh, in what we do. In and this is going to be including, by the way, um, a couple brand new uh, 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 public programs that we're going to be doing. Um, so in addition to Mythgard Academy and Film Film and the Twitch stream and stuff that we've already been doing, we're also going to be doing this new really cool series of free seminars that we're going to be running. So but I will, I will give more details about it um, at the State of the University address. I've just posted the uh, uh, the link, the registration link uh, in the chat for those who are here live. Uh, if you're listening to the recording, well, you, you'd best be listening to the recording very swiftly because it's happening tomorrow, um, but a, a recording of it will be posted too, and the best place to go to look for that would be in the social media outlets of, uh, of Signum University and the Mythgard Institute, uh, and you'll be able to find uh, those things. So anyway, um, <clears throat> it uh, so I, I encourage you to, it's, it's open to everybody. Of course, it's especially uh, focused on uh, the people who are most sort of urgently uh, 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 recommended to attend are, of course, our current students, um, you know, who are enrolled in our program, uh, you know, and, and, and our staff. Those are the people, obviously, who are, who are most 
uh, most directly involved. But really, anybody who enjoys our programs and wants to know more about what we're doing, we're making some um, some pretty significant changes, which I hope will will involve or be able to involve uh, more people. And as I said, new free programs as well. So anyway, that's going to be a lot of fun. So that is uh, tomorrow night. Saturday, June, uh, what's tomorrow? The 4th? June 4th. Uh, Saturday evening, June 4th at 9 p.m. Eastern right. Time uh, will be uh, the time of that. So there's the link. And again, if you're hearing this after June, if you're hearing the recording of this after June 4th um, and it's already happened again, the uh, a, a link to a recording of it will be posted on the uh, Signum University social media outlet. So. Um, so that's the first announcement. Oh, yeah, thanks, Lydia. That's one of the things I'm going to talk about at the State of the University address is our website is brand new. Go to signumuniversity.org and be amazed at how awesome our new website is. Uh, it's one of the things I'm super excited about. Um, so, uh, so yeah, and you can get lots of spoilers from stuff I'm going to cover there by looking through some of the really cool information on our, uh, uh, on our new website. Um, anyway, yep, cool. Well, well noted there, Lydia. Um, the second announcement is I've talked about before, but again, just another reminder, and this is something that's coming off a little bit more in the future, uh, just to remind you that our next Mythgard Academy class is going to be beginning on the first, going to be beginning on the first Wednesday of July, uh, I, which I believe to be July 6th, and we're going to be talking about The Lost Road, Volume 5 of the History of Middle-Earth series, uh, the, uh, the, the, the innovation of Numenor, when, when uh, the, the, the idea of the island of Numenor and the downfall of Numenor uh, comes in to uh, to Tolkien's world, um, and uh, you know which which has not happened yet. We've been looking at the the development of the you know the sort of the stories of of Valinor and Beleriand and uh, all the different ways in which uh, those ideas have been growing and changing over time. Um, we had gotten in the last. Uh, last volume in the shaping of Middle Earth, Volume Four, uh, we had gotten to the time period in which he was writing The Hobbit. Um, so that's sort of chronologically in Tolkien's life um, where we have gotten to, and only now is Numenor going to be invented and going to be coming in. So that's certainly the major innovation of Volume Five. Um, so I would, uh, I would definitely recommend. You know, some people have asked. What if I haven't seen the others? You know, is it going to be okay to kind of jump in at the Lost Road if I wanted to start there? I think it will be fine. Um, of course, there are going to be times when I'm going to be referring back to things that we talked about before, um, but I, 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 that will not be most of the time. I mean, if you do the Lost Road reading with us and, and attend those classes, that will be fine. And then you can go back and uh, on our Signum University YouTube channel, check out all of our recordings of the other uh, uh, sessions at your convenience to kind of backfill that. Uh, but anyway, so so yes, d do uh, do do join us for the, for the Lost Road. The uh, webpage for that should be up uh, pretty soon, but again, just uh, so that you can start your own planning and reading, uh, knowing that that's coming. So, okay. Let me then also next then talk about what's coming up in the immediate future, because there's one change we're going to make. There's one way in which we're going to do things differently in season two than we did in season one, uh, as far as our approach and our, our, our structure to our sessions. Um, and this came from our experience at the end of season one. At the end, uh, so last time you may remember that we um, uh, in season one we went straight from the parallel episode to this one. That is the the the, the session in which we described you know the outline of the thirteen episodes and how we were going to do all these things. And um, 
And then we went straight into episode, you know, planning of episode one in the next session afterwards. This time we want to introduce a couple, uh, two other sessions in between those two. And again, as I was saying, those come from how much fun we had at the end of season one, talking about the different design elements. Remember the, 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 the sessions that we spent on casting and costuming and sets and, and all of those kinds of things. And one of the things that... Um, you know, that Trish and I were reflecting on after that is, you know, of course, so much of what we were doing at the end was really kind of brainstorming, right? Let's think about how we would want to conceive of these things and everything. And it sort of seems, seemed in retrospect that, um, the very end of the season might perhaps be over late to begin the brainstorming process, and we'd kind of like to we'd kind of like to jumpstart that a little bit. Obviously, there's there are many details and things that we're not really going to know until we've planned out all the episodes and we really have a, a much clearer grasp on on you know who are going to be the central characters and what are they going to be doing and um, you know so being able to do something like a casting discussion at the very beginning of the season I think is not is not something we're really going to be able to do because we don't we, we don't really know the characters that well until we actually see how the story is going to unfold as we go through the season. However, there are definitely some things that we can do. So we're going to have over the next two sessions after this uh, a sort of a broad kind of design design concept brainstorming period where we're going to be thinking about like remember the discussions we had at the end of last time when we were talking about like the of course the uh, I, I, won't, I won't have to remind Nick about the controversial discussion of the conceptual idea of the of of the lamps and what they look like right that kind of discussion I'd like to have earlier on this time I, I want to have that in the next two sessions prior to beginning the outline or the actual episode planning um, so that we can have an idea of what are the how are we going to depict sort of the cultures and 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 sort of personalities or you know sort of natures of the different elvish groups how do we because of course it's one of the biggest challenges of season two how do we really we differentiate these elvish sub-tribes, right, so that we can really make this something that, that, that is actually a story that makes compelling sense to people, right? Um, so we need to be thinking about that. What might they look like? Um, how might they be different, you know, in culture, character, and personality? Thinking about the regions that we're going to be spending time in, um, you know, how do we, you know, so again, thinking in general terms towards things like settings and, uh, and, uh, and you know, sets and, and, and props and things like that. Again, just sort of general concepts, costuming um, issues as well. And hopefully in the next two sessions, we'll lay enough of a conceptual foundation. We, you know, if we finish in one, we finish in one, but you won't be shocked, I'm sure, if we end up taking two instead of one. So I'm just going to say two to start with. And uh, if we want to, we can just start the episodes earlier if we choose it. But um, uh, but anyway, so that kind of general uh, sort of design concept uh, 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 discussion I want to have over the next two sessions. Then we'll launch into the specific plot planning, um, you know, of uh, episode one of season two uh, in the next one after that. So, yeah, Karita, uh, race, ethnicity between Elvish groups, absolutely. The language issue, I mean, we, we've we've kind of, we've talked about that some. We, you know, we, we're going to want to, we're going to need to think about that a little bit more now that, you know, we're really kind of coming to it. Um, we need to think about orcs, you know, what are the orcs going to look like exactly? And how do we, are we going to, are we going to, you know, as the uh, super secret orc necromantic project uh, uh, proceeds over the course of season two, are we going to, are we going to have like 
stages of orcs, right? Do we want to do like the, you know, sort of proto orcs or like, you know, orcs mark one, orcs mark two, you know, how are we going to do this exactly? So these are the sort of the general issues. Music, Philip, yeah, absolutely. I'm totally cool with thinking about, thinking again in general terms, um, sort of general conceptual terms about, um, about, about music. Um, yeah, accents, exactly, Robert. All that stuff. So all those things are what we're going to be talking about in the next couple sessions so we can get some general ideas for that. And that, of course, my, my, my hope there is that that will enable us to kind of uh, to give all of our wonderful creative people, all of our composers like Philip and our, our visual designers and, uh, you know, costume people and everything else, it'll then, you know, having, having established some of those general concepts at the, at the beginning and really started those conversations, they'll then have, you know, the whole next 26 weeks, uh, to start, um, 26 weeks of real time, that is to say, um, 13 sessions in which to be thinking about that and they can have that in mind and those things can be brewing as we go through the episode discussions. So that's the plan of where we are headed. And uh, today, however, as I said, we're going to be discussing the, uh, the, the, the outline. I talked a little bit about what we're, what we're going to be doing today. So let's get, without further ado, let's get to, okay, no, actually, I do want to have a little bit of further ado. Uh, <laughs> the one last thing that I want to do, and this is going to take a little bit longer. Um, I want to do a review, and I hope I trust that uh, I, you know uh, that this isn't going to seem patronizing. But I want to make a hundred percent sure before we start the discussions that we're going to be having today and over the next couple weeks. I want to make sure that we are all on the same page about what the subdivisions of the elves actually are. Okay, um, let's just make sure that we understand the terminology uh, and that we know how things, um, you know, how Tolkien laid this stuff out. Um, so that we can make sure that, because, you know, I don't want to start talking about like, well, you know, here we're going to have the Nandor splitting off and, and I don't want, you know, you guys who are here with us now or listeners at home being like, wait, who the heck are the Nandor again? So let's, let's kind of get all of that out here up front. Um, and those of you who are, um, uh, those of you here now, oh, Marie asks a good question based on uh, Quendi and Eldar. All right. So Marie, my main thought here is, I think by default, we, the, you know, the, and this is, it's in a sense, it's kind of like the Book of Lost Tales thing, um, you know, discussions that we had before. Um, other things that Tolkien wrote and said at various points um, that are published in the history of Middle-earth, we definitely want to take that into account. And Marie, I'm going to talk about a little bit of that today. But obviously, the published Silmarillion is our primary template, okay? And what I don't want to do, I don't want to overcomplicate uh, the subdivisions of the elves. Okay, um, the subdivision of the elves, as explained in the published Silmarillion, is sufficiently complicated. <laughs> I don't think we need to go further than that. And I know that Tolkien thought about that more and and introduced like a whole you know some like different sets of vocabulary attached to that. And I really. Um, I really don't uh, want to. So, so some of that stuff, Marie, I'm not going to really be relying on very much because, again, like it's 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 cool stuff. It's really interesting, but I think, like I say, it's complicated enough. But there are a couple things that I will be drawing on from some of those things. So, so Marie, my kind of rule of thumb there is, if there's like information and detail that Tolkien gives that kind of clarifies that will will give us some you know sort of 
you know, mental or, or uh, in, you know, imaginative hooks to kind of hang ideas on uh, and, and get a better grasp, to mix my metaphors, on um, what... Um, what these different, you know, uh, uh, divisions and cultures are, then we'll use those. Um, but generally, I think we need to default to what's in the published Silmarillion. Okay, so we remember that the elves awake by the lake of Quivienen, and they call themselves the Quendi, meaning those that speak with, like, that use language, right? And they name themselves this, of course, because of the only ones that they meet who do this. It's like them and the animals, and so they're like, hey, we're the only people who know how to talk, so we call ourselves the people who know how to talk, and that's what the Quendi means. Um, the first division, of course comes when, uh, with the invitation to Valinor. So Orome comes and says, hey, wouldn't you guys like to come to Valinor? And they're like, uh, we don't know and you're kind of scary. Um, so they decide, the Valar decide, to bring the three ambassadors. So we get the three leaders, right? And these are, uh, these are Ingwe, of the, you know, the leader of the Vanyar, uh, 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 Finwe, the leader of the Noldor, and Elwe, the leader of the Teleri, right? So those are our three primary peoples, our three sort of tribes, as you can think of them, of the elves. So there are three tribes of, of the Quendi. There are the, those three tribes, the Vanyar, the Noldor, and the Teleri. Each of their chieftains, Ingwe, Finwe, and Elwe, gets taken over to Valinor. Um, so this is obviously a thing which has to happen during this season, right? The The visit of the three ambassadors of those three lords or kings um, to uh, uh, to Valinor. They go back and they're like, Valinor's the bomb, we should all go, right? And that, and then we have the, the debate, the big debate of, you know, when the ambassadors come back and they give their testimony and they make their pitch, and then the elves as a whole decide whether or not they want to go. And this is what leads to that first division. Uh, Tolkien even suggested in some of his later writings that the debate itself was highly acrimonious. There's a lot of bad feeling uh, left over, um, even among the people who did decide to go, like among the different people groups, like the, you know, like between the Teleri and the Noldor, for instance, there's even later on after everything else that happens, they're still not forgetting about the debate. Um, and they still have like stereotypes associated with the different tribes of the elves based on the role that they played in, in, in the debate. So the debate's a big deal. Um, and, and this is, this is the first division. So the result of that debate is some of the elves say, heck no, we're staying here. We like it. We've got, I, I've, I've got a nice little lake house here by Quivienen. I'm staying. Um, uh, you keep your, you know, magical land of the gods in the far west. Go off and have fun over there if, if you want to. But whatever, I'm content here and I'm staying. Those that stay are the Avari, which means the unwilling, the unwilling to go to Valinor. Now, one... One thing that I that I did want to bring up, uh, and this is from uh, this is from uh, if you own the History of Middle Earth series, this is from the book uh, Volume Eleven, The War of the Jewels, um, that uh, that section that uh, Marie was referring to called the Quindi and the Eldar. Um, and one of the things that's kind of cool here is that uh, Tolkien actually gives the mathematical proportions. He doesn't. Th th there's no sense of a mathematical proportion. Um, very little cues that he gives about that in the published Silmarillion, but he has it laid out pretty clearly uh, here. Um, such that, so for instance, the uh, the the elves that remain in Middle Earth, uh, he div he divides it um, into okay. So uh, of uh, 
he 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 takes like the overall elf population and he divides them for reasons best known to himself into 144 parts. Okay. So of the 144 parts of the total elf population of all three tribes, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Avari, the unwilling are 56 out of the 144. Okay. So this means that it's a very significant percentage. We're not talking about like a few malcontents who choose to stay behind. We're talking about a little bit less than half, right? of the overall elf population decides to remain behind. So this is a big schism, right? This is this is the major okay, and yeah, Alex, yeah, because elves count in base twelve. I know, but it just it it, it seems it seems odd. Anyway, point is that uh again, so numerically speaking, this division this is the biggest division that's ever gonna happen. I mean it's it's the one that is spent that sort of least time is spent on in the Silmarillion because the Avari don't really enter the story that much anymore, though they are referred to a couple times. And that is they do play a certain role uh on a couple of occasions, especially in the fact that they um you know they interact with with men before men cross over into Balerion. So there 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 I think are gonna be times um when uh uh, when we have um, the Avari come in again, which means we're gonna have, we're definitely gonna want to introduce at least one like recognizable and memorable character among the Avari, um, so that we can come back to that character. We can have somebody who, like the viewers of the show, would be able to kind of latch onto and remember, um, so that we can bring we can bring them in later on. Okay, so we have this we have this huge. Um, huge Avari population who decides to stay behind. So the majority, but only just the majority, um, uh, leave. Okay. Um, and set out for Valinor. After they leave, of course, all of the complexity after this point comes from the Teleri. So the, th- you know, the first thing to, to keep clear and to sort of retain, um, to sort of retain in, in your mind, uh, is that the Vanyar and the Noldor stick together. Right, they don't. Uh, they stick together with each other, and they stick together as a whole. They don't split up after the after the initial divide. Um, and by the way, Tolkien also suggests of the Vanyar, like none of the people who were of the Vanyar left. So there are of the Avari, there are some who were of the Teleri and some who were of the Noldor. Most of the Teleri, some of the Noldor, none of the Vanyar. Like one hundred percent of the Vanyar pick up and leave. Um, they are the most unified of all the people of the Noldor. Some decide, you know, some, but but not uh, not 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 all, you know, um, uh, decide to stay. And of the Teleri, um, a bunch decide decide to stay. So okay, um, but once they set out, the Noldor and the Vanyar are together. They don't split up. They don't split apart, and they don't split up from each other until they get to Valinor. All right, um, it's the Teleri that are sort of the problem, right? They are the ones of those three kindreds. They're the ones who are at least enthusiastic about leaving Middle-earth behind. Elway, the guy who is the ambassador and who is their king, he loved it, right? He is gung-ho about going back to Valinor. So he leads, you know, a large group of his people. Um, They decide to go, though they don't really want to. This is why they're called the Teleri, which means like the people at the end of the line, uh, you know, the, 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 the last comers, they're the, they're, they're, they, they're tearing, they're, they, 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 they stay behind. Um, they are the slowest on the trip. Um, 
so the Vanyar and the Noldor, so we can actually, we're going to need to actually separate them. Um, that is, after a certain point, once they start traveling, the Teleri are going to be like having a story of their own, essentially. Um, I mean, or we could change that, I guess, if we want to, if we want to have them still um, still interacting with... Um, um, still interacting with the, the Noldor and Vanyar. I mean, we could do that if we wanted to, but we could also just kind of separate the Noldor and the Vanyar off entirely, as they certainly are going to end up traveling to Valinor together. Yeah, those who came last, uh, Robert, exactly. Um, uh, good. Marie and Hakan were both suggesting, uh, could Aeol, the Dark Elf, be one of the Avari? Um, yeah, yeah, I think he could. I think that would be really cool, actually. Um, uh, Hakan is suggesting specifically that he could be one of the one of the Avari who is of the sort of the Noldor clan. Um, that um, that certainly that certainly seems possible. Um, yeah, Marie points out that of course Elway and Finway are really close buds, and Marie, you did a great job pointing this out on the discussion boards as well. That uh, it's kind of an interesting. It's it's one of those references. Where you know, like it's not like Tolkien tells the story or gives us these details, but it's one of the sort of openings uh, that Tolkien has given for a story to be told. We know that Ingwe, Finway, and Elwe are the three ambassadors that go over, but when they come back, it's not that all three of them are pals and chums with each other. Elwe and Finway, they bonded, right? They're really good. They're best friends. Ingwe is not. What does that mean? You know, uh, Marie, you were suggesting on the discussion boards, maybe this suggests that Ingwe is really standoffish, right? Maybe this gives us some prompts to depict Ingwe's character as, uh, as, as, as aloof, even, um, even, even superior. It's kind of interesting that, given that the Vanyar are the most solidified yes. piece of group, too, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the, 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 the solidarity among them should be really, really strong. Um, and and this means, of course, remember we're, we have uh, thinking down the road, though not out of, still in still within the frame of season two, we have uh, we have two relationships, like interclan relationships with Vanyar women, right? Uh, Finway's second wife is going to be of the Vanyar, and um, and uh, Finrod's girlfriend, um, whom he doesn't marry. Um, uh, and the reason why he remains single in Middle Earth, because he still loves her, but she did not leave Valinor with him, um, is also of the Vanyar. So, um, so anyway, so we get um, we get uh, we get that um, possibility. Yeah, Halstein says, please let us not make the Dark Elves into D and D Drow. No, I totally agree, Halstein. There shall be no Drow among our Elves, um, uh, nor shall the Dark Elves, I think, be dark skinned. Um, I, I I have a hard time with that. Um, uh, I, have this, I have a hard time explaining like how that could be. Basically, um, I mean, yeah, I, it just that doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But anyway, um, so okay, so like I said, the Noldor and the Vanyar. Um, they are pretty simple. They proceed together. Um, oh, and Marie, I don't think I even finished talking about your comments. So Elway and Finway are really close friends, but of course the Teleri as a people are lagging far behind. Um, uh, Marie is, is sort of reminding us that Elway travels back and forth. Like, he goes to visit his friend Finway. Um, so he, like, rides on ahead of the rest of his slow-footed people um, and goes up to hang out with the Noldor in their camp. And it's on one of those trips back and forth between his people and the Noldor that he meets Melian. 
Um, and that, that's why he's wandering, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, among the trees there. Um, so, okay. So, the Teleri are coming along behind. They're not, they, they're following Elway. They're willing to go. Um, but they're not really enthusiastic about it, and they linger longest, and they and they like, you know, sort of enjoy most their trip across Middle Earth. Uh, the first division among them, so they, so the Teleri are going out. That you know, of the Teleri that leave, um, some of them decide not to cross the Misty Mountains. They get they get to the Misty Mountains, and some of the, and some of the elves say, "Nah, actually, we're good here. We we want to stay here." So they stay to live there in the in the Vale of the Anduin, like around you know. So this is all land that's familiar to us. Um, these are called the Nandor. Lenwe is the name of their chieftain. So we have a character, Lenwe who has a son whose name is Denethor, um, after whom ultimately Denethor of Minas Tirith is named. Um, so we have Denith- uh, Lenwe and his son Denethor, and they lead these other elves who, who, who are called the Nandor. Um, you know, the, the, these are the Teleri that... Start, so, so we've got the, one, the, the Avari who say, forget it, we're not going at all. Then, now we have the Nandor who say, we were willing to come, but now that we've gotten to this place, we've decided we just want to stay here. We don't want to cross the Misty Mountains. Okay, so we have to decide, and this is something we can talk about next time when we talk about the Nandor in a little bit more detail, exactly what is their motivation? I mean, presumably, like, we're too lazy to cross the Misty Mountains is not really a good premise for the culture of the Nandor, right? Um, and the Nandor, um, are, these are the people, these are the elves of Mirkwood and of Lothlorien. Um, the majority of the elves of Lothlorien and Mirkwood in the Third Age are Nandor, who are still there where they have been ever since season two of, of, of the film project, right? So, um, uh, so we can even have some direct connections forward, uh, sort of lineal connections towards, you know, Legolas and, um, uh, and you know, and other characters like, um, um, uh, like Nimrodel, for instance. Um, you know, she is a, Nando, a, a Nando as well. Okay, so... Exactly, Marie. We got the we've got we've got the Lothlorien thing, and 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 of course, as you'll remember, we're doing our whole uh, our whole frame in Lothlorien. You know, so we'll have Nandor around. <laughs> you know, when we're talking about this, so uh, lots of lots of potential there. Um, but still, now a big chunk of the of the you know still the majority of the Teleri do eventually follow they're now way behind the Noldor and the Vanyar but they do cross the Misty Mountains and continue on across Eriador and then across the Blue Mountains into Beleriand um which is sort of the last stage of the trip across by the way i mentioned briefly last time um a plan involving ents you remember the story that treebeard uh, tells of how elves began it, right? Waking trees up and teaching them to speak. Um, I, I would like to have the, uh, and I think the Nandor um, meeting the Ents um, in their, uh, and, 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 and teaching them to speak. The Ents are already there. They're already, they're already uh, uh, animate, um, but they should be the ones who, uh, who, who, who teach them how to talk. Um, so we would actually introduce Treebeard as a character and have him actually speaking with like Lenway uh, and others there. I'm, so I, I was thinking, uh, yeah, Hakan was just suggesting the same thing uh, that it's the uh, the the Nandor that should be most closely connected uh, with the ants. That's that's just what I was thinking. Um, okay, so um, so so we have the Nandor. 
the rest of the Teleria have crossed over into Beleriand. Now, the the Vanyar and the Noldor, they've been here long before. They get to the coast and they get taken off in the floating island across the sea and are brought to Valinor. Meanwhile, the Teleri are only just like arriving in Beleriand. So they're they're way apart now by this point. Um, but uh, but this is the point now when Elway is lost. So the, the you know, Elway, former ambassador to Valinor, most gung-ho to return to Valinor of all the Teleri, has his moment where he meets Melian in the woods and goes into his trance, which lasts for a really long time, right? So he's lost. They can't find him. So we have this crisis among the Teleri. This is, the, this is now the third division. The first division was the division with the Avari back at the deba- debate. The second division is when the Nandor split off and they're like, hey, Markwood, Lothwari, and this is where we want to live. And the third division now comes when Elway is lost. Nobody can find Elway. Where, you know, where is Elway? Where did you see him last? You know, can we retrace our steps and see if we dropped him along the way? Um, they're looking for Elway, right? And they don't find him. And this comes now comes to sort of the point of crisis. So what do we do? We all came on this trip because we were following Elway. Because he told us that Valinor was awesome and he was excited to go. And he convinced us all to come. Now he's lost. Do we go or do we stay? Right? Some of them decide, well, let's go ahead and go. And it's Olway who is Elway's brother. Elway's brother Olway takes the leadership of those who decide, yeah, we should go and head off towards towards Valinor anyway. But a bunch of them decide, no, we should stay and keep looking for Elway. And there should be, I would think, an element of those people who say, you know what, we weren't super psyched about going to Valinor anyway, we were only going because Elway wanted us to go and we honored him, um, and now that he's gone, um, yeah, we're totally staying to look for him, and anyway, we kind of wanted to stay anyhow, right? Um, so those are the group of elves that stay, and, and, and so the, the number one thing I think should there should be about them is their devotion to Elway, right? That should be the primary thing that they all have in common, as well as perhaps a certain reluctance uh, still to go. Um, that's kind of the trend in the Teleri. The Teleri never really wanted to go in the first place. So in the end, only a subset of the Teleri. Um, again, to use the numerical proportions that Tolkien gives in his little chart, of the uh, of all of the elves, of all 144 parts of the elves, 74 of the 144 parts were Teleri. They were by far the biggest of the people. So more than half, um, just more than half, of all of the Quendi to begin with at Quivienen were Teleri to start with. Of that 74 parts, 20 parts in 74 end up actually going uh, to, to, to Valinor. So like of the, of, the, of the Teleri that end up at Alqualande, um, only 20, out of, 20 parts out of 74 end up finally making it over there. Um, so again, the majority of the Teleri don't really want... They, they, they want to stay in Middle-earth. So again, you see how this resonates with the ideas of the frame that we were talking about, right? Arwen and her love for Middle-earth and her desire to... St- and her reluctance to leave and thinking, is it necessarily the destiny of the elves to leave Middle-earth? Um, is that good with sort of that, that emotional subtext of was my mom right? You know, was my mom merely a, you know, a coward and a sellout to leave Middle-earth and go to Valinor? Is going to Valinor really, in fact, the right thing for the elves, um, and that tension. So, so that um, that drama, you know, that question: um, Where do elves really belong? Do they belong in Middle Earth, or do they belong in the West? Is played out most 
most poignantly, at least certainly most immediately, in the first half of season two among the among the Teleri. Um, so, okay, so you've got now these people who say, no, we're sticking with Elway no matter what, we're going to stay and look for him, and we kind of didn't want to go to Valinor anyway. Um, those are the Grey Elves. Those are the Sindar, right? Um, and the rest, the remnant, follow Olway, and they get to the coast. And they get to the coast and find the Vanyar and the Noldor left like a long time ago. I mean, it's, you know, they are, they've been so slow getting there, the rest of them are gone. And so they're like, oh, we missed the boat, or the island, in this case. And they settle down by the coasts, because what else are they going to do? They got to the coast, and they're still kind of hopeful maybe they'll get over, but anyway, here they are, and they settle down. Um, of the elves who stay of the Sindar, right, who are still looking for Elway, this is where we have these characters that we're familiar with from the Silmarillion, the, the people who are going to be the, you know, the elves, the primary elves of, um, uh, the, the, the primary elves of uh, Doriath, people like Beleg and Mablung and Dairon. Um, but of course, also Celeborn himself um, can be one. We can introduce the character of Celeborn among those who stay to look for, for, uh, uh, for Elway, I think. Um, now, um, among those who go, so we've got, now we have Elway and his followers, right? So you've got the Grey Elves, the Sindar, who are staying and looking for Elway. Of those who are on the coast... Now, they settle down, and when they settle down, they get to know Ase. Ase hangs out by the coast, they're hanging out by the coast, and they become close with him, they become friends with him. Um, when eventually, you know, the Nandar, the, 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 sorry, the, the Vanyar and the, um, and the Noldor are over in Valinor, and they're like, dude, whatever happened to the Teleri? When are they coming? And Finway, right? He's like, where's my buddy Elway? I thought he was right behind me. Right. Um, and so they're talking to the Valar and they're like, could you, you know, could you send the island back? You know, they probably want to come. Right. I'm uh, sorry they're late, but, uh, you know, uh, late is better than never. So why don't we uh, uh, why don't we why don't we bring them back? Um, so they say, all right, fine, we'll do that. Right. So they send the island back. Um, but. Of the Teleri, now, of those followers of Olway who are by the coast, you know, who have been tapping their foot waiting for an island to come and pick them up, they are, some of them have changed, have had a change of heart in the time that they've stayed by the coast. They love the seacoast, and they love, they love being there, they, they, they love Ase and Uinen, they've been hanging out with them, they think they're really cool, um, and, uh, and, of course, cured in the shipwright is the chief of those. So this is then the next split among the Teleri. Um, and again, the, the overall pattern here is simply at every point, some of the Teleri decide they want to leave and some decide they want to stay. And then some decide, and, the, you know, that, and that happens, what, four times? Once with the Avari in the debate at the very beginning about leaving Quivienne, then in Lothlorien and Mirkwood when the Nandor decide to stay, then when it's time to look for Elway. Right, and some of them decide to stay there, and they become the Sindar, and then again on the coast. When at the last second, when finally the the, the Valar are saying, "All right, those of you who have come to the coast, you've been waiting, you've been very patient. Thanks very much. Come on over." And Olway and his people are like, "Hooray! We're, we get we get to go at last. We've been waiting." St some of them again say, "Actually, you know what? Never mind. We're just going to stay here on the coast because the coast is awesome, and Ase is fun, and and we're going to hang out here." Okay. And those are the Falathrim. Those are the elves of the havens. That's Cirdan, the shipwright, and company. 
okay? And they are the ones who are most close in relationship to uh, to to uh, to Thingol, to Elway, right? And the Grey Elves in Doriath. Um, and Brandon, I agree, Kyrdan does deserve a close-up. We, we definitely need to think about Kyrdan's character. Um, Kyrdan the Shipwright is one of those characters that is such a tantalizing character throughout the, you know, in the Lord of the Rings and in the Silmarillion. I mean, he's like one of those guys who's always there, um, and he plays a role sometimes in the Silmarillion, but we just never really get to meet him. We don't, we don't really get to know Kyrdan the Shipwright that well. Um, and I think it would be really fun to spend a little more time with Kyrdan the Shipwright. So, um, so I agree. We, so Kyrdan and Oldway are really the two primary characters of that, you know, that sort of that last group of Teleri there on the coast. And then Kyrdan and his people stay and Oldway and his people go. Um, but of course, they don't even end up making it all the way, right? They're towed across on the island, but Ase, whose primary domain is the shores of Middle-earth, he's like, please don't go all the way. So they root the island, and that becomes Tol Arisea, the Lonely Isle, in the bay, right almost to Elvenholm. So, you know, I'm sort of imagining, we wouldn't actually depict it this way, but I'm imagining this potentially comical scene, right, where you've got, like, I'm I'm imagining the, the Vanyar and the Noldor, right, all turned out on the on the beaches, right, with big, like, welcome to Valinor, Teleri, you know, uh, placards and signs and everything that they've made up, and the ship is sailing, or, you know, the island, I mean, is, like, sort of sailing in from a distance, and there's the Teleri all on it, and the Vanyar and Noldor standing up and waving and, you know, blowing, you know, vuvuzelas and stuff and, and, and celebrating the arrival of the island, and then it gets anchored, like, a couple miles offshore. And there's, like... It's incredibly anticlimactic, and it's like okay, they they're they're almost here, but they're not, they're not they're not quite here, uh, and uh, and so there's the Teleri, so near and yet so far, and they settle there for a little bit, and then Alsei teaches them to make ships, and this is when they become uh, the, uh, the 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 Olwe and the Tele- and the other Teleri become shipwrights, and that's when eventually then they sail across and go to out to and build their city uh, or you know to live in Alqualonde, uh, and finally make it to Valinor, right? Um, but wait, there's one step more, and that is there's a division among the Nandor. The Nandor, so here's here's the Nandor with Lenway and Denethor. They've been living happily in Mirkwood and Lothlorien, or maybe they haven't been happy, or maybe some of them haven't been happy. I don't really know exactly the story there. But for whatever reason, Denethor, son of Lenway, of the Nandor, the again, the Mirkwood, Lothlorien folks, says, you know what? We should go on to Beleriand anyway. So later in the day, after Thingol wakes up, they show up. And they're like, hey, uh... Like, better late than never to the whole Valerian thing. I guess it's too late for a boat or whatever, so we're not going to Valinor or anything. But we're here, right? And they become the Lindor, the Green Elves, the Lyquendi, and they live uh, They live in the in those sort of southwestern regions of Beleriand. They are going to be the elves that uh, uh, Baron and Luthien live with post-resurrection, um, and they're going to be the ones, uh, they are the ones who, the only ones who in the Silmarillion are actually named as being friends with the, with the Ents. 
the, the, the one intrusion of the Ents into the mainstream story uh, of the Silmarillion is when the Ents fight with Beren and the Green Elves against the dwarves who are returning home from the Sack of Doriath. Um, this is hence the uh, dislike of dwarves uh, by Fangorn, by Treebeard, who was there um, at that fight with Beren. Um, and uh, and also his uh, his fond memories of Osiriand that he refers to, uh, you know the seven rivers of Osir uh, in his in the Willow Meads of Tasaranen song uh, that he sings in the Two Towers. Okay, so so this means also again keep in mind we're going to need a story for why it is that Denethor, son of Lenwe brings his people, separates his people from his father's people, the rest of the Nandor, and comes anyway. Not only remember across the Misty Mountains, across the Misty Mountains, all of Eriador, and across the Blue Mountains, and ends up in Beleriand there. And of course, the other story that we know about them is that during the early wars between the orcs and Thingol, you know, and, and the, you know, the Sindar and the elves of, uh, of, of, you know, prior to the return of the Noldor, uh, the green elves do very badly. I mean, like they, they, the Denethor is going to get killed. You know, there is this famous battle in which they are the green elves are attacked by the orcs, and the main force of the green elves is surrounded. Uh, you know, on the great hilltop, and Denethor, and they're they're slaughtered, and Denethor dies, and the green elves take no take no lord. Uh, thereafter. So, um, anyway, uh, we can, we can, I, th- I mean, I, I'm thinking, um, I'm thinking that those main battles and things, those probably should be season, at least season three, maybe season four. Um, probably season, chronologically, it would be season three. So we don't have to get into all the battles and stuff. But anyway, just, um, just a, uh, uh, um, just a glance forward th- as we kind of think about the green elves and who they are and, 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 and why did they come and trying to, trying to make sure that we can really think uh, do a story for them. Yeah, Nick says, uh, I think we can show the defeat of the green elves to be due to a lack of technology. Yeah, they certainly have no armor um, and the only weapons they should have should be bows, right? I mean, they're not, they're not, they're not metal smiths at all, right? Um, so that could be one of the things that, uh, you know, we'd, we'd show like it's just a really unequal fight between heavily armored orcs and, uh, and the green elves. Um, anyway, okay. So that's my little summary, explanation, reminder of this whole migration thing because this is the primary template for basically the first half of season two. And we need to make sure, and so so that is just to make sure we have that all clear in our own minds as we continue our discussion, uh, and also to kind of highlight some of the challenges that we have in front of us as we try to, uh, you know, sort of thinking of what stories we need to really we we need to really um, uh, concern ourselves with and and think through. All right. Yeah, you know, I think uh, Nick kind of puts his finger on. And the thing here, I think it was Nick, right? Yes. Concerned that to do the migration justice, we, we may wind up having trouble getting to Fanor. I know, it's true. It's like this whole story that Corey just laid out is almost like a whole season unto itself. You know, it could be. 
Yeah. We don't want to do that. But it is going to be a challenge, you know, to be able to also do the fan or story justice at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and uh, um, one thing I'd say about that. Um, we're not trying to do the fan or story justice. <laughs> that is to say, season three, <laughs> season three is fan or's season. Like season three is the fan or story. All uh, we have okay. to do with fan or is set up season three, right? We've, we we have to do the forging of the Silmarils, right? So we need to introduce fan or's character and more than just introduce him. Um, we need to give fan or's character. We need to have the beginning of fan or's arc, right? We need to have like. You know, uh, Wunderkind uh, uh, Fanor, right? Growing up, um, you know uh, the 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 um, this incredibly talented, superior in almost every way, elf child, right? That everyone is going to be marveling at, um, and we need to have him beginning his sort of official career in forging the Silmarils. Um, um, and of course, yes, the family drama, uh, Marie, right? The whole father's remarriage and uh, uh, having of half brothers deal. Um, we should, I agree, Kimber, show his marriage, um, uh, and and again, the forging of the Silmarils. Um, but uh, but I don't think it's you know it wouldn't be fair, I think, to say that we have to divide the season between Feanor and the migration. What we do have to think about in is as we plan as we plan the overview of the season we do have to basically think we are dividing the season between the migration on the one hand the migration is like the first half of the season and the time in Valinor with a special focus on the Noldor and what happens with the Noldor is the second half of the season and the turning point therefore um, the kind of the pivot of the season is the unchaining of Melkor therefore Right, that's kind of the moment at which we can really shift our our attention. Um, the elves are in Valinor for a while prior to the unchaining of Melkor. Um, I, I don't mean that chronologically; it happens as soon as they get there. But like the time when the Noldor and Vanyar are there first, just kind of hanging out on their own. Um, that's uh, um, that is not necessarily very interesting and not something we have to spend a whole lot of time on. Um, they're going to get there. We're going to hang out with the Teleri, primarily, because the story of the, the migration and all the different things that happen among the Teleri, um, that's going to be our focal point. We can, I think, chronologically make the unchaining of Melkor happen pretty soon after the story of the migration is done. That is, after the story of, of like all of the different divisions among the Teleri um, when Olway and and his people finally arrive in the Swan ships to Alqualande, right after that we can do the uh, uh, the unchaining of Melkor, you know, sort of the trial of Melkor, and that's the halfway point. And then after that, the focus of our episodes, the focus of our story, is on Valinor and what happens in Valinor, and we have Melkor becoming friends with the Noldor, and um, one really good discussion that was happening on the discussion boards was. How um how much should we sort of make it a surprise? That is, 
uh, when Melkor is unchained, do we make it obvious to our viewers that that is bad, right? That Melkor... So Melkor is going to make speeches and like, I repent, I am so sorry, I'm I, I, I'm turning over a new leaf and keeping it turned, right? He's going to say that at his trial. We know he's going to say that at his trial. We know that some are going to not believe him, Tolkas and, and Olmo especially. We know that some are going to believe him and side with him, most notably Nienna. Um, and Manway is ultimately going to choose with, you know, sort of side with her and choose to set Melkor free, believing that he's really changed. So the question is, to what extent are we going to kind of... Silly Manway. Yeah, bring um, bring sort of the, 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 the viewers into that, uh, into sort of the backstage knowledge. Um, like we could, for instance, you know, show... Uh, you know, as like right after the trial or even before the trial, we we could give them cues uh, to show that Melkor is obviously being insincere, right? Um, I don't think we do that. I think we should, and I think that there's really a potential for us to do an interesting thing with the viewers here. Um, Because remember, one of the things throughout season one that I hope we will have achieved by this time is not exactly people feeling sympathy for Melkor, but understanding, at least. There should be understanding, you know, that we don't have to make him a likable character. We don't have to make him, uh, we don't have to, we, 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 it's not that we want to recruit our viewers to be on his side and, and to dislike Manway and the other Valar. But it should at least be comprehensible, you know, the the kind of the resistance to having him as merely like a you know a bl- a, a mustache twirling black hat villain from the very beginning, um, is something that we talked about a lot. I would like it to be maybe a midway point where I'm not sure how to do this because I think my idea is such that the audience would then know. I think what would be the most poignant and probably the most depressing. I know I think I would get depressed if I watched this. Is to is to see Melkor basically sort of operating as he did way back when, you know, like in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But but it's obvious he's only using that as a sham. You know, it's it's obvious that he's putting it on. You know, that that his anger and resentment and everything has just absolutely festered, and he's you know he's bad. But that we see him being quote unquote the old Melkor. Only we actually know he's just using that facade. Right. Well, I mean, I just think that would be but, really powerful. But not know necessarily. See, that's what I think would be really cool. Wouldn't it be cool if... Because, see, his actions, right, would be easily interpretable as... what I mean, from, from what the audience has already seen of Melkor in Season 1, right, they've seen him, as you, as, as you say, they've seen him put on acts right. like this before, right? Right. And so but, it would... I mean, before it was sincere. I mean, he actually was. Right. You know, there, there were the also some times when it was insincere, like in some of the scenes that we had, like That's with true. the, the Valar visiting him in Utumno and stuff, for instance. Yeah, right, 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 right. Um, so, okay. But, but, so, but it would be fun to at least introduce just a, 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 a hint of doubt, right? Here's, here's kind of the, the place I would like the viewers to be. Um, I would like the viewers to be listening to him and saying, oh, he's totally full of it, right? Right? I mean, he's like, that's totally not true. He's just putting it up, and Manway's going to see through that, right? 
But we have, have social like, media controversy, right? <laughs> right. But to have doubt, right? For them to be like, well, but maybe he really means it, right? I don't want to tip the hand. I don't want to give it. A, I, I don't want to have like a backstage scene, you know, where he's like, he sneaks back to Middle Earth and he visits Myron and he's like, okay, so how are our evil plans coming? Meanwhile, I gotta go right. keep, you know, uh, keep keep going those fools over there in in in, in Valinor. But, you know, we can get there eventually. <clears throat> but that should be a reveal and it should be a reveal which is because again that it's not that I want people to love Melkor and be on his side I don't want that at all but what I do want is for people to see the evil of Melkor as a tragedy I want you know my my optimal reaction that I would love people to have to Melkor in these first few seasons is like that they would weep at the tragedy of like what he has chosen and what he has become seeing who he is and who he could have been and what he could have done right and i would love to have this moment of the unchaining be one of the, like the most poignant instance of that where for all of those viewers who did really like him and wished he would be different you know and choose a different path in season 1 be able to have the desperate hope that maybe he is. Maybe he has actually repented. Maybe this is Melkor being, uh, becoming a good guy. Um, and then to have their hopes crushed as the evidence mounts and they see, no, he's not, he's not doing that. And then we, re- and then it's, and, and that reveal, uh, you know, can, can, can be only really finally confirmed at the darkening of Valinor. Even when he's kicked out, I guess my right. I we, guess my have doubt. my. I think I'm going to channel Dave here, yeah, because I could kind of hear Dave saying this, which is, I mean, Melkor's hatred of the Valar is so thorough and so dark. I mean, to me, it's kind of, in a sense, it's like the the final straw that's completely changed him is just this mm-hmm. this you know hatred. his his burning and, resentment. Yeah, yeah, and to me, I'm. I mean, I'm not 100% on this, but my thought is that waiting for the big reveal is kind of a little bit melodramatic. <laughs> I mean, you well, know, to not reveal it wholly until then is a little bit mel- is like a little bit melodramatic, because to me, part of you know, part of this story is his. But I, I don't know. I mean, I'm I can get it. I, I can live with it. I'm not like strongly against doing it. That I'm way. not saying. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I might be making it more, sound more extreme than within what I mean. What I'm saying is, I would like, he, I would like for his actions to be left to interpretation. Right, ambiguous. We want to keep him ambiguous. Well, is that kind of what you're thinking? I, I don't want there to be a clear reveal. I don't want there to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah any direct hint to the audience. I don't want there to be any back scene. Meanwhile, like he's like, you know, writing letters back to Gothmog and Sauron, uh, you know, revealing what's truly, what his true plan really is. None of that. I don't want any backstage Melkor. No, like you said, no mustache twirling. Yeah. Everything he does should be consistent. Like basically there are two possible readings, right? One is that he's shamming all along. The other is right. that maybe, maybe he's not bad, right? Maybe he's at least trying to be good, and 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 but because here's the other factor here. Here's the other thing we got to remember. We need to try to make Manway not look like an imbecile, and that's a very serious concern. Here. 
I mean, uh, not an imbecile. Worse, a fool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A sucker. Yeah. That's we true. Don't want, so basically, his actions need to be clearly consistent with genuine repentance. There needs to be nothing in his actions that screams out, I'm obviously really a bad guy and faking it. Right? Um, yeah, yeah. So... So basically, the viewers, I would think, should be looking at this and saying, like, no, we know what's really going on. This is not genuine, right? And, they can, and they'll have lots of evidence to support that. But if there's anybody who's clinging to the hope that he has genuinely repented, there'd be evidence to support that, too. And neither one, neither side would be proven definitely. And I think it would be fun to extend that even to the point when they decide like they, they realize all this stuff like what's going on with Feanor and the Noldor is Melkor's fault um, let's get him and bring him back to trial even to have him be able to be all like you know in his con- confrontation with uh, with Feanor when Feanor slams the door in his face right he should still be mm-hmm. able to be like dude like I'm being railroaded here you know I, I'm, right, I'm, right. I'm, I'm being persecuted this is me being the persecuted tr- right the- the, the pure psychopath who right. is like never wrong right. he's the one being done to right. you know and, and actually Hakan makes a point which which as a, he says is there someone trying to help Melkor being good like Nienna which that prompts me to say not only Manway we need to not have Manway look stupid we need to have others like Nienna not look stupid either exactly I mean you know if he's obviously bad and then it's like, well, what the heck? Can't she see what's right in front of her face? You know, so you're right. I mean, Absolutely. I think there needs to be some ambiguity. And the marketer in me is, you know, thrilled with the idea because it would it would it would fuel so much uh, controversial conversation amongst fans <laughs> in social media that we right. would get all this publicity. Yay! Right. right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and um, me. We would have memes. Yay. <laughs> memes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. No, I'm thinking that like Nienna's like his uh, is like his parole officer. Like he has to go to Nienna for like counseling sessions. You know. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And how's the repentance coming? Right. We, we we haven't fallen off the wagon this week and done anything evil, have we? Right. Um, uh, I'm kidding about that. But anyway, but 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 what I do imagine, what I do imagine, what I would like to add, is after he flees. And it seems that his evil is clear. Um, and the Valar themselves are convinced that he is evil. And like the awkward question of uh, the awkward question, which I could totally see uh, Tolkis actually saying in council. So, uh, so this means we were kind of wrong to unchain him in the first place. I guess that kind of kind of was a bad move there, wasn't it? Right. <laughs> we have to deal with that. And what I would like to have is a, a, a private conversation between Nienna and Oloran about that. Mm, yeah. Where Nienna reveals that she did what she did, not because she was 100... But not because she was fooled. Because she was 100% convinced that he was definitely evil. Her response to the revelation that he has not actually genuinely repented isn't going to be shock. You know, it's not going to be like, oh, I had no idea. I really thought he was on the straight and narrow, man. I can't, I'm just, I'm, I'm appalled, right? That's not Nienna, right? Instead, she is, she is going to, you know, she, she will be, have been showing pity and having mercy on him because those are good things, right? Um, and because it, 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 it is good to have done that, even if it, even if it doesn't, uh, uh, 
turn out to be right, you know, e even if he doesn't take the opportunity that's been given to him. Um, and so, so Nienna and, uh, and, and, and I'm thinking Aloran uh, is clearly the candidate there to be her interlocutor in that scene. It could be Manway. I mean, we could do a Nienna Manway thing, you know, where like Manway comes to Nienna and is like, so like, did we just like screw that up or what? You know, and she explains, no, we were still right. But I, I really like her. Or, or maybe Aloran is there when the two of them discuss that. I don't know. But anyway, details. I don't get too bogged. We shouldn't get too bogged down in details. Um, uh, but yeah, so I like the I, so so then it's not the fact that he is acting that he is still activated primarily by malice should not be clearly indicated. Like no absolutely unambiguous evidence of that comes out until he goes to Ungoliant and they start plotting the darkening of Valinor. Um, yeah, Tom Hillman says she's hoping he's the prodigal son, but he ain't. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Okay, so um, so that's the overall that's our overall shape. So thinking about that migration first half, uh, you know, Valinor and the unrest of the Noldor, and so like the the the, the Feanor Noldor plot growing, and the uh, um, and the Melkor uh, subplot growing in the second half, the migration, which is primarily Teleri focused, in the first half of the season, right? Um, so essentially, but we're, we're, we're going to still kind of mix them a little, little bit, right? I mean, we're not going to do this like meanwhile back in Valinor. At no, the mid no, not at all, season. or very, very little, I think, um, because it's it's th that's why I get and chronologically, I think we can do that basically, um, because the right. the Vanyar and Noldor do hang out in Valinor mm -hmm. in peace for a long time prior to the unchaining of Melkor, and while the Teleri are doing their business back in Middle Earth, right? That is their subdivision and slowly continuing the journey business, right? Um, but after the end of the migration, we can be primarily staying in Valinor, um, you know, all of the, the second half of the season um, episodes can be primarily based in Valinor. We are still going to be like, we, we, we need to have Elway waking up from his trance, right? And establishing Doriath and, and, uh, uh, and you know, Celeborn and Beleg and Mablung all being happy that they found Thingol again, or, you know, Elway again and changing his name to Thingol and um, setting himself up there. Um, so there are some moments where we're going to be coming back. We need to check in on the super-secret necromantic orc project and Sauron, right? And what he's up to uh, back there in Middle-earth. So, but those are all just going to be, like, subplots within episodes. The episodes, the, the, the episodes themselves will primarily be set in Valinor. And, you know, I really like the shape of this. Notice how both of the two seasons so far um, have had that sort of climactic turning point in the middle of the season, right? In season one, it was the destruction of the lamps. The destruction of the lamps right. and the division between Otumno and Valinor was the turning point of that season. In season two, it's the unchaining of Melkor. Um, which serves as like the hinge between the migration half and the Valinor half uh, of the season, but also, of course, is that, again, pivotal turning point um, that really helps to determine um, that really helps to determine the uh, uh, um, you know, the outcome of the season uh, like the destruction of the lamps did. Um, now, Marie asks a great question. Will we see the building of Menegroth? Well, Marie, I've been thinking. Um, <laughs> more and more, 
I, I, we talked about this last time, and the more I've thought about it, the more firmly I am in favor of leaving the dwarves until season four. We're going to need stuff in season four. We have enough to do, goodness knows, in trying to have the like different subcultures of the elves um, and to make sense of that without also being like, and now dwarves and the complex interaction between the dwarves and these various different factions of elves. Like, I don't think I just I don't think we have the space for that. Uh, it's not even about time. It's about like there's too much. It's already going to be close to too much. Um, if it's not too much, we, it, that will be a great victory for us. So I, I I'd, I'd like to save that. But of course, um, um, Marie, this brings me back to exactly what you were asking about the building of uh, the building of uh, of 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 uh, Minigroth. So I'm going to say two possibilities. One is we just remove that element, the dwarves helping in the construction of the Thousand Caves. I kind of don't like that because having that be sort of the framework for the the fact that the dwarves were involved in the building of it and also then were involved in its, you know, were the instrument of its downfall. Um, I, uh, I, I like that, so I'd kind of like to keep it. But if we do that and put the dwarves off to season four, then yeah. that means we're now this is possible still, right? Especially since we're not going to be spending all that much time with Thingol and the rest of the elves in Middle Earth in the second half of the season, right? We'll visit them so we don't forget about them and we know something and we set up what's going on. But since we're going to do the um, since we're going to do the the wars between the the the. Sindar and the orcs later on anyway what if we wait until then to have the building of Menegroth at all so we could say so we have Thingol and his people um, but they just haven't built Menegroth yet so the building of Menegroth could be one of the earlier stages of that business in like in in season 3 um, so that's kind of what I'm thinking. So we'd have Thingol, but not the Thousand Caves. Um, and so the real establishment of Doriath as a kingdom, as a stronghold, doesn't really happen until there's an enemy to be a stronghold. I mean, they're still just kind of hanging out, doing their, you know, uh, uh, sort of free-floating, you know, elvish thing uh, at the beginning. Um, which, of course, we have to keep in mind when we think about sets and stuff next time. Um but you're right, Marie. Chronologically, that get that still brings us introducing the dwarves in season three, instead of season four. But fortunately, I don't have to think about that right now because all I know right now is they're not in season two. <laughs> and we so. hear the, can, the sound of a can. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Down the street. Actually, we we totally need a sound effect that we need that we can dub into these episodes. Well, uh, you know, I, I I the dwarves are for me a little bit. Uh, of a challenge because you know here we are doing a whole season on elves. I mean the dwarves really deserve a lot of attention. It's just you know I can't see us doing. We can't just stop everything and no, do a season. We exactly, we can't. But we also whatever season, you know, especially the season when they show up and start to have impact in Middle Earth. I mean they need to be pretty prominent players in that season. Yeah. Whatever season it's going to be. And it's it's a challenge because think of what's coming up. I mean, you know, no, it's I... not like we can just sort of stop and, and say, okay, let's talk about the dwarves now. You know, I mean, it's... So, yeah. Yeah. So, 
even though we're kicking that can, I recognized it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, Marie, you're right. It should be season three. So we'll think about that later. Kicking the can. We'll th- <laughs> when we come back to season three, then we'll think about the dwarves and how they and how they come in. And uh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, Marie, that is what I'm thinking. There, there does need to be one dwarf centric episode, which is one of the reasons why I don't think season two that can happen. But once they're there, they're there. So yeah. once we have that dwarf centric episode, we need to re- remember that then to include them in. in parts of the story that they do have impact on so yeah. that's going to add to the yeah 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 <laughs> Karita says the dwarves for me are a bit <laughs> of a challenge I'm sure lots of elves feel the same way uh, yes yes exactly um, says the person that just started not one but two dwarf champions recently on Lotro <laughs> on Lotro right there you go there you go um Okay, all right, so let's get down to the enumerations. Having thought about that overall shape, I think that we can we can put uh, episode numbers on some of these subsets um, here relatively quickly. So let's 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 say, for argument's sake, right? Let's uh, let's put the unchaining of Melkor in somewhere around the midpoint, right? Let's call it so, so for for now provisionally. Let's call that episode seven. Right, so like the trial, well, the the trial, the trial of Melkor, which leads to his unchaining. Right, okay. Right. If we did that, that would leave us six episodes. So what has to happen in those six episodes? Well, the first one has to be, you know, the awakening at Quivian and and their initial, um, their initial in, like the initial stuff that happens. So like the meeting with Orame, right? So we got Quivian and Quivian and. Meeting Orame, uh, getting freaked doing, out. We talked about having Sauron find them too. Yeah, exactly. Sauron. Yeah, yeah. S- Sauron finding them, like the Dark Hunter and all that stuff. So, like the fear, their fear of the Dark Hunter and Orame finding them. All that stuff is episode one, right? And that remember that kind of going backwards in time and like the great battle of the end of season one is happening off stage, right? And and we have the like what that looked like from the Elvish point of view and and why they were freaked out and why therefore why when Orame shows up on his horse they're like freaked out. Right. So okay. So that's episode one. That that's a that's a gimme. Um now we have episode two has to be then the invitation to go across to Valinor and the tri- and, and the ambassadors, right? And their actual journey to Valinor, right? It's got to be episode two. Right. Um, right. So invitation and ambassadors. That would leave episode three to be the great debate about whether they go Um. And this is where we have to introduce the Avari, right? You know, those who are unwilling to go and those who decide. So at, by the end of episode three, they have to be setting out. But we have to be careful here because we're already running out of time. So we had six total episodes for the migration, right? If we have episode three be the great debate and this ends with them setting off to go and the division, especially among the Teleri, while the Avari remain behind, that still only leaves us now with three episodes to do the Nandor deciding to leave, Elway getting lost, the Noldor and Vanyar getting to uh, Valinor first, right? We need to see them pulled across on the island. Um, uh, the, so the, the Sindar deciding to stay and look for Elway, the getting to the coast by Olway and Cirdan the Shipwright, 
the second coming of the island, right? The second, uh, the second commute, right? Uh, by island when Olwe takes off, but but Kirit in the shipwright decides to stay, and then the um, uh, the making of the Swan ships and the the arrival at Alqualande. All what seven or eight of those things that I just listed have to happen in those three episodes if we do it that way. So, how do we break this down? I think clearly, um, again, if we think of the major divisions, we don't need, obviously, we don't need a whole episode for like the arrival of the Vanyar and Noldor to Valinor. That's going to happen. It's going to be a subplot of one of the, of one of the episodes. Um, but so again, the primary story is focused on the Teleri from episode three through episode six, essentially. Um, uh, especially four, five, and six should be primarily Teleri episodes. Okay. Um, so, uh, um, but I don't think we need to have just the debate. Yeah, Philip, I'm not suggesting we have an entire hour-long debate uh, in the episode. Um, but there's a lot that needs to go on there. Um, uh, and not just in the debate, but we have the ambassadors, we have Finway and Elway, we have, um, you know, we need to really present. Uh, Tim Fisher asked a question a, a little earlier on, which I meant to get to and didn't come back to, but might as well hear. Um, was, you know, why I, we've mentioned, I've mentioned several times before, the choice that the Valar make, which they're going to have to be making in episode two, the choice that the Valar make to invite the elves to come to Valinor is a bad choice. Um, uh, it's, 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 they, they make the wrong call and lots of harm comes from it. Um, uh, I, the Tolkien says that explicitly in the published Silmarillion. We see it even more clearly in the Book of Lost Tales in the earlier versions. So, okay. Um, why? Like, what's the problem here? Why, why exactly is this a bad call? And ultimately, my answer to that question is the reason it's wrong is that it's not what the elves were meant to do. Like, Iluvatar didn't make the elves uh, to be his children on in Arda to be, like, isolated from the rest of Arda. They're supposed to be there in Middle-earth. They're supposed to be, you know, doing work for Iluvatar to, like, fulfill the vision of what Arda is supposed to be. Uh, you know, for them to be um, kind of cloistered away um, and preserved... Uh, is wrong. So you'll notice, by the way, that whole like preserving of things unstained, which is the power of the uh, elvish rings of power, is essentially just a continuation of that same choice that the Valar themselves made, the same mistake that the Valars themselves make. Um, as in as much as what you're trying to do is to say, I just want to keep things unchanged and not let things develop, or even uh, I want to separate myself from the rest of the world so that my little bit of the world can be kept unstained and unchanging. That's a that's a that seems to be every time a wrong impulse. Ultimately, that's like that's not Iluvatar's plan. Um, Iluvatar's plan is for them to be reaching outward, not turning inwards. Um, so, but again, it's it's a mistake uh, that the. Um, uh, it's a mistake that the that the Valar make first, and that the elves continue to make thereafter. So, I bring this up again now because I think that this is something um, that we should be. See- we need to make somehow. We need to make our viewers perceive. We need to make them feel 
that it was a wrong choice and why it was a wrong choice. And I think the divisions and subdivisions of the Teleri are the primary reason we do that, right? Um, at the end of the day, you look at the Teleri, like, why are they divided all over the place? Why do we have all of these different factions of elves who don't agree with each other? Well, the reason is the invitation of the Valar, right? Had the Valar led, le left well enough alone um, and just decided to, like, support and bless the elves in their work there in Middle-earth, um, the, and remember, back in season one, we talked about how, like, the whole choice to set up their habitation in Valinor is like doing the wrong thing for the right reasons, right? Even that separation wasn't necessarily the right call at that point. Um, but yeah, it, so exactly, Marie, the fact that it clearly brings discord. Um, and the, that, that whole question, which, remember, is a major part of the frame, what is the ultimate goal and destiny of elves? Should it be investment in Middle-earth or should it be retreat to Valinor? Um, that question, again, that question is, 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 is going to be one of the dominant questions of the whole season, um, both in the frame and uh, in, the, in the actions, because, of course, you see how it reverses itself once they get to Valinor. In the second half of the season, in the unrest of the Noldor period, this is going to culminate, ultimately, of course, in the beginning of season three, but the unrest is going to be the Noldor wanting to go back, Right? And it's going to be finally articulated explicitly in Feanor's speeches in Tyrion when he says, those are our realms over there, right? The Valar are, are trying to keep us to themselves. They are depriving us of our birthright. And the thing is, that's true. Not maliciously, right? They didn't do it because they're trying to keep the Eldar down or anything like that. But that is, in fact, exactly what they did. That's the thing about both Feanor's speech and about the lies that Melkor spreads. He's not wrong. They're not incorrect. Um, there is an, there's, there's plenty of truth in them, such that, and that's why they have so much power. Um, so again, so in the first half of the season, we manifest the wrongness of the choice to invite them to Valinor in the discord and divisions that it creates among the Teleri. In the second half of the season, we show it in the unrest and disquiet of the Noldor. When they get to Valinor, they're not happy. They're not content there. And ultimately, most of them want to go back. Um, so, so again, we, we can see that, that unrest and disquiet, and all of that comes back and hinges on that initial invitation decision. I say this stuff now, which seems like a distraction from the progress we had been making in enumerating the episodes. Um, <laughs> because again, this really needs to inform what our focus is as we tell the story in the, in that first half. Right. So I think when we're thinking about these episodes, really episodes three through six, again, one and two are no brainers, right? One is setting the scene there in Quivienin and Orame's discovery of them and Sauron's issues and that, that kind of thing. Episode two has to be the, decision of the Valar to uh, to invite them, the delivery of the invitation by Orame, and the visit by the ambassadors, right? Those two are no-brainers. I don't think there's any way around those two episodes. So three through six have to be <clears throat> everything else. And it all starts with the, with the great debate and the division with the Avari, right? So that has to be a major, you know, a major thing there in episode three, could we do something else as well? Yeah, but I feel like could we do the could we get so far as the division of the Nandor? Uh, I'm not really sure we can. Um, I mean maybe, 
But trying to squeeze the debate and the separation of the Avari and the division of the Nandor into one episode seems like a lot. I would kind of rather do it the other way. I would kind of rather have the debate and the setting off on the journey in episode three. Um, But then, like, what happens? Plot-wise, they set off on the journey is a pretty sucky storyline. Well, anyway, let's let me continue thinking that through there. If we start episode four with the issue with the Nandor and get as far as the disappearance of Elway. That in in episode four, right? So we 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 start with the with that that second division with the Nandor deciding to stay, and then the rest of them are all you know. So there's Elway and his brother Elway, and you know Mablung and Beleg and Kelleborn and Kierd in the ship, right? And everybody, and they're all like, okay, but we're still one big happy unified heading to Valinor family, right? But then that gets broken. Then the crisis happens, and Elway vanishes, um, and. So we end we end the episode with the again in turmoil. So it can kind of look like this is all just completely unraveling, right? Episode five, then we 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 so we so we have the Sindar already you know the, the Sindar searching right. We've 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 started that in four. We established that in five, um, and then Olway and Kirden get to the sea. In episode five, we could have in in episode four as well. One of the subplots could be the arrival um, of uh, the Noldor and the Vanyar in Valinor. Um, God, I have to really fight from getting wanting to get detailed. You know, like you'll yeah. talk about this stuff, and I'll have ideas like, "Oh, and we could do that." And I'm, no, 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 that's too much detail. Yeah, I know, I know exactly. We got to save this stuff for for. As when we talk about the episodes, we just need to make sure we can fit this all, and that it makes some kind of sense, and that each episode makes a certain amount of sense. Um, that would then leave if we get them to the shores in episode five. Okay, well, not, still not much has happened in episode five. We'd have to have the division between Olway and Kirden in episode five. Then in episode six, um, we get the Swan ships and Aqualande, the Vanyar separating from the Noldor and going to live on Tenequitil. But then, mm, yeah, we do. We, we can't do Trial of Melkor even in seven. It's okay to, right? We could push that back one mm-hmm. to eight. Because if we do, and I'm looking at some of the suggestions, Murray, I'm looking at your outline right now. Um, uh, if we have that episode, episode seven, be like the noontide of Valinor. That's when we do 
Feanor's birth. So, you know, we get, uh, you know, Finway's two wives in that episode. We get Feanor the Wonder Child. Um, we, we don't want this to be too, uh, you know, like a montage, but we do want to get at least one episode, right, of everybody happy. I mean, I, I, I would think that Finway's two wives is enough of a enough drama <laughs> for one episode, yeah. right? For the drama element uh, of, 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 uh, of, of the episode. And of course it also, it's, and, 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 and yeah, I'm joking, but of course that's, that's especially poignant, right? In the context of the frame, the whole question of, you know, of, 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 you know, of, of Muriel, his first wife and, um, what, um, what happens to her, right? When she like sort of dies and sort of not dies and her going to, you know, hanging out there in Lorien and Finway mo- moving on. These are all questions very relevant to Arwen, right? With her mom. Um, uh, you know, and the whole question of the ultimate destiny of elves, right? Um, so, okay. So we get that in episode seven. Then the trial and release of Melkor in episode eight. Now let's jump ahead and move backwards. Episode 13 is The Darkening. From, we start the episode with the, with the death of the trees. You know, so this means, like, Melkor showing up in the cave of Ungoliant has to happen at the end of episode 12. And episode 3 begins with uh, Melkor and Ungoliant invading... Uh, uh, Valmar and destroying the trees because we have to go all the way through um, the death of Finway, the thieves' quarrel between Ungoliant and Melkor, the rescue of Melkor by the Balrogs. Right, that all, that stuff all needs to happen. Right. Um, in episode thirteen. So, okay, so we do that in episode thirteen. What else then do we have to um uh what else then do we have to cover well that leaves us four episodes nine ten eleven and twelve to cover the rest of the stuff I'm thinking after the trial of Melkor the next one after the trial of Melkor do we do the making of the Silmarils then chronologically that happens before the trial of Melkor but um we may have to. But no, let's make it afterwards. Because remember, um, he, yeah, no, that's right. It does happen after because he, um, he tells the lie that like Fanor learned how to do the Silmarils from him. That's right. That's right. So that, that's that's yeah, yeah. okay. So um, episode nine then is the making of the Silmarils, the pride of Fanor. Um, uh, Fanor or ref- Galadriel refusing to give Fanor any of her hair. Uh, that that happens in episode nine. Um, the frame for that one will be an interesting. Story. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. But of course, remember in the context of the frame, chronologically in the frame, this is like way pre Gimli, right? So it'd be really fun to have oh, Galadriel. Yeah, I, know, I was just thinking about that. And I yeah, thought, no, we can't because it's too, no, it's too cool. Far. Actually, we can have her make a statement. Like we can introduce dramatic irony, right? Um, 
Like I would never do that. I would never do that, right? Yeah, I would never give anybody any of my hair. Like, <laughs> no matter forget who about asked that. Me. <laughs> yeah. No matter who asked me, I'm not going to give anybody any of my hair. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something along those lines. I think I think we we should totally do there in the frame of it. Oh yeah, now. we had a couple of people already say that. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah, she would exactly. never give one. That's right. Never, yeah. I agree. Please, that's, that's, and, and like, or, or even, oh, that's even, something we all agree on. That's awesome. <laughs> right. And, you know, the, you know, Kelleborn would be like, I mean, and that was the most offensive thing. I mean, when I think about somebody yeah. asking for her to give him her hairs, like, it just makes my skin crawl. I mean, honestly, like, of all the, uh, and then, like, so I just think of the, exp- of the, the significance of the expression that we give to Kelleborn's face when we get to the Lord of the Rings and Gimli makes the request, right? Um, yeah, I think that would be, that, you know, <laughs> the way that his eyes bug out, uh, when, uh, when, when, when Gimli makes the request. It's awesome. Anyway, okay. Right. So making the Silmarils, Pride of Feanor, Galadriel's hair. Um, and of course, you know, Melkor hanging out with the, with the Noldor and sort of the growing, um, uh, you know, the, the, the growing pride and kind of discontent of the of the Noldor we need to get the um, okay so events that still need to occur right we need to get the open quarrel between fing- like f- uh, uh, the the moment when Feanor draws his sword on Fingolfin right and then he gets banished Feanor gets banished and sets up his um, uh, his house up at Formanos and fing- and Finway leaves with him Right, so we, so we need to have the the and the quarrel can't just come out of nowhere, right? So we need to be building up the quarrel with Fingolfin, and then we um, uh, then we have the banishment. Then after the banishment, we have the great feast, right? The great fe- you know, the great celebration, which is going to lead to the uh, uh, to about. So that's got to be episode twelve, right? Episode twelve is like the feast of reconciliation. Feanor is invited, like forcibly invited back to town. Right, armed guards are sent to us to uh, deliver his invitation and escort him back. Not really, but anyway, he's forcibly invited um, back to to Valinor. He comes. Finway stays. Um, there's the like sort of reconciliation. Well, true reconciliation on Fingolfin's part, anyway. Um, that that all, so that that all has to happen in episode twelve, and then again we end episode twelve with everybody sort of seeming to be reconciled, kind of. I mean, like the official reconciliation has occurred, and we end in peace and harmony, and everything's great. And then we end the scene, the episode, like the final scene of the episode, should be uh, Melkor uh, going to Ungoliant's cave. That's the moment. So at the moment when everything seems like everything's been smoothed over is the moment when we finally give the unequivocal reveal that Morgoth has been scheming the whole time and that now he's going to uh, unleash the malice that he's been suppressing throughout this season so far. Um, Yeah, so the Feast of Reconciliation and Melkor's Malice Revealed. Okay. That leaves us then with two episodes between the making of the Silmarils and the Feast of Reconciliation. Um, Do we have... Um, hmm. Um, 
Wait, no, Nick says uh, we might have an entire episode with no conflict whatsoever until the very end. You mean episode 12? I wouldn't think so because the the sort of the main kind Fanor is still just like a wandering conflict anytime he comes on screen right so um because his the reconciliation between it's not a real reconciliation i mean like Fanor is still grumbling um you know so that sort of the main issue there is going to be what's really going on with Fanor right i mean we have the desire to create harmony and the apparent creation of harmony um but uh um, in fact, I think Nick, it could be, it could work really symmetrically if in the first half of the episode we have the discord that we know to be real, like we know what Feanor really thinks, and we know what's going on with him, right? Um, in the previous episode, um, in the we, we could end episode eleven with his um, with the command that Feanor um, return to Valinor. Um, and, and, and we can see, we can show his reaction. So the, the audience knows that there is no concord in Feanor here. Um, he is not in fact part of the, you know, the let's hug and make up festival that's going on in Valinor. So in the first half of episode 11, the focus is on everybody making peace and being happy, but yet with the knowledge that behind the scenes, you know, like beneath the surface, rather, the discord is still is not really healed, and then the second half of the of the episode is the discord which has been submerged below the surface all the way through the episode, or all the way through the season to this point, comes out into the open, and uh, Melkor reveals that he was being malicious all the time. So, Feanor, who has been malicious or at least discontent openly, and now is smiling bitterly and trying to and showing, uh, pretending that he's making at least showing that he's making good on the one hand, and Melkor who's been smiling and trying to suggest that he's making good all along now finally taking off that mask and uh, uh, and revealing himself um, so uh, yeah, and um, Maria, I know that Melkor attacks during the feast, but it's okay this is a this is this this is a this is a long festival this is, this is like a multi-day festival um <laughs> Not to mention the fact that we, uh, I'm thinking we can also shorten the distance a little bit. I mean, I would like to end episode 11. Like, they, Feanor and... Um, I would like there not to be much elapse of time or of distance there. So we have Feanor and Fingolfin and everybody at least pretending to hug and make up um, while um, uh, Melkor and Ungoliant are, like, on the mountaintop looking down on Valmar right there. Um and so episode 12 begins like five minutes after episode 11 ends. Um, yeah. No, see, Nick Melko doesn't even need a bunny sled uh, because, you know, he can really, he can really move uh, when he, when he needs to, and he needn't be that far away. Um, so anyway, okay. So, so um, that means, hang on, wait, there's another major event that I was leaving out. And that is, Nick says he could ride on Ungoliant. Ooh, I don't know if we want to go there. But anyway, um, uh, okay, so there's another major uh, element, as I said, and that major element is the Valar deciding, that the that moment I was talking about before, the Valar deciding, oh, wait, okay, what went wrong, right? Okay, so all right, now, so this is clear. Episode 10 then becomes the uh, uh, the Kinstrife, right? Um 
that is Fingolfin and Feanor, right? And Feanor drawing his sword. And then his banishment. Episode 11, then, is focused on the Valar. Episode 11 is the Valar saying, having their counsel and saying, okay, dude, what the heck went wrong here? Right? What, what is up with, what's wrong with Feanor? Um, and why are the Noldor discontented and what's going on? And then everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's all Melkor's fault. He did this. Now, again, we still don't officially confirm it, and we, we still have the possibility of it, because Melkor is going to run, right? So Melkor goes on the lamb in episode 11. Well, at the end of episode 10, he's going to go on the lamb. Um, uh, but anyway, so Melkor's on the lamb, and he shows up in episode 11. So we've got the, the Council of the Valar, where they decide this is all Melkor's fault. We need to call him to account for this. And then somebody's like, oh, we can't find him. He's run away, right? Um, so then Melkor shows up at Formanos and has his conversation with Feanor, which culminates with Feanor slamming the door in his face. And then we go back to the Valar and we have them say, and this is Manway saying, hey, let's reestablish peace, okay? Let's all get together and hug this out. And so he decides to have the celebration and he sends the messenger. Um, I'm thinking we get Aonwe again, um, who goes to, to Feanor and says, you are invited to Valinor. And Feanor says, stuff your invitation. I don't want to come. And he's like, no, you're coming. Right. Uh, I'm here to compel you to come if you won't come quiet. Um, that's, the, that's then the end of Eleven. And then 12 is the Feast of Reconciliation and the revelation of Melkor's ma uh, malice. And um, Okay, that works. Does, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. So I'm happy with the Valinorian half of the season. Well, but hang on. I'm not quite done yet because I'm not quite happy with the first half. I want to go back and revisit the first half. Um, so, okay. Uh, especially... Th three through six I'm unhappy with. So this is like the whole Teleri business. I don't feel like we have the Teleri, the story of the Teleri really divided into episodes, clearly. Like, into episodic individual stories. Like we need four separate stories, right? I want to think about it, I want, I want to think about it in those ter terms. What are the stories of those four episodes? Well, the story, the the major event of the first of those four episodes is the great debate, and the initial decision of most of them, uh, you know, of 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 many of them to go, but most, uh, or no, most of them to go, but many of them to stay, right? So the division with the Avari, that's the primary event, at least in episode three. So therefore, the story of episode three is essentially the consequence of the invitation is discord. And bad feeling among the elves. And so, so Philip, you were joking before about like how boring it would be to have an hour-long debate. But the debate itself doesn't take anything like an hour, right? What we get is a lot of character development before and afterwards. Um, and the character development and conversation... Like, this is where, like... Because remember, in this episode... Like, resentments which are going to last for, like, the next six seasons are going to, are going to be, um, are, are, are going to be begun here, 
in this episode, in episode three. So the storyline of episode three is discord arises, right? Not just in the sense of like, we don't all exactly want the same thing, but the choice about whether or not to go leads to a serious interpersonal discord. Um, not to mention things like cultural stereotypes. The Teleri are diffident losers. The Noldor are arrogant jerks. That kind of thing. Which helps us not only with like these moments of developing, because this is going to be some of the, the most crucial moments where we're like sort of developing and establishing what these different cultures are like, um, but also setting up all of the tensions, which are going to be such a central part of all of these seasons. The latter, the latter part of season two, um, season three, season four, when we get the Sindar and Noldor and Middle-earth together stuff. Okay. So that's season three, or that's episode three. The story of episode three is Discord. <laughs> episode four, therefore, we were talking about you know, we need to we need to get the Noldor and Vanyar to Valinor. We need to get the Nandor separated off. The, you know, the choice. So the the first, the so this is the first time that of the people. So it could, so it, at the end of episode three, it looks like okay, we've divided and that was ugly, but we've basically divided into into two camps, right? Again, one of the one of sort of the major motifs that I'm beginning to sense here from season two is that one of the major motifs is. Like reconciliation, is it fake or is it is is it real or is it phony, right? Yeah. Um, can discord be healed, essentially, right? Because that actually have... is actually a pretty good. That's a pretty good. Yeah. That's a pretty good um, theme, and in fact, it could almost echo in the frame with regard to Galadriel's exile. Yes. It doesn't, yes. have to, that doesn't have to be like a, you know, like a strong theme, but it certainly can be in there. Right, right. Exactly. And it follows really well on where we got at the end of season one, right? With the decision to go to war against Melkor. And, right. Uh, right. And Manwe recognizing with tears, discord is inevitable, right? Um, we There has to be conflict. We can't establish peace. And yet, what do we see in season two? still the attempts to establish, because you can't give up on it. Yeah. Or you can't just be like, well, oh. nobody's going to get along, so what the heck, right? Um, I don't know if there... I don't think we'll be able to do this, but if you admit, you know, it's it's in the music. Both of the Discord and the attempt to not have Discord right. is in the music. Right, um, right. But we can't really, you know, that's yeah. not something we can yeah, really show. We could, we could kind of drop the reference at some point. But anyway, so yeah, okay. So, four? Or the, episode in four, the, then... In the should, soundtrack itself. Right. Episode four should essentially begin with, okay, the debate was ugly and some bad things came out there and there's some bad feelings, even among the people who are leaving, right, between the Noldor and the Teleri and, and as I can remember, we're laying the foundation for the Kinslaying as well, right? Um, remember Feanor's faint-hearted loiterers speech, right? That doesn't come out of nowhere, right? There he's just voicing, like, you know, sort of breathing new life into the ill feeling which starts way back here at the Great Debate, Right? Um, okay, so so there was some there was some bad blood there, and the Avari stayed, and we all we kind of split up, and that was ugly. But 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 bygones, right? We're moving past that. At least we, the Eldar, those of us who are on the journey together to Valinor, now we are all joined in a common cause, right? So it's sad that the Avari stayed behind, and I'm sorry that we had some infighting amongst ourselves. That was ugly. But let's try to put that past. Let's let's try to put that behind us, right? 
But then we get the division of the Nandor. Why do the Nandor stay? Or do we have them so they could stay not for any negative reason? Like they stay for a positive reason? Like they come to this place and they're like, no, this is it. This is home. This is where we want to be. Like we are making the... It's not that we don't want to go to Valinor. It's not that we're rejecting you, but we want to be here. Right, so again, here we 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 shine the spotlight on the elvish desire to be in Middle Earth. It's there with the Avari too, but there's so much ugliness in the Great Debate that the Avari could at least look like, you know, just petulant. We don't want to go, and you know, we're resistant to all this, and we're suspicious of the Valar, and you know, it, it could just look, it, you know, not necessarily just like we just love Quivianen so much we don't want to leave. There's that element, obviously, from their point of view. But that's not going to be the primary focus. The primary focus is going to be the rancor of the debate. Um, In episode four, we should be introducing the active love and devotion to Middle-earth. That's what drives the Nandor. So they get to Mirkwood, they get to Lothlorien, and they're like, this is it. We are committing ourselves to this region. We love it here. This is where we want to stay. And the rest of the Teleri being like, what the heck? right? Elway being like, dude, we've had this conversation. Right, so sort of discord arises again, and this is where like so so we see the doubt in the minds of the elves: should we stay or should we go? And this is where I think we coming to Elway's disappearance at the end of this episode then becomes so crucial because Elway is the prominent voice among the Teleri. He is the voice of Valinor is the place for us. And so we have. What do you think, Dave? Da- hey, Dave's here. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Hey, yeah. He's <laughs> recovered a little bit, decided to log on and listen. And, Excellent. Uh, Excellent. Trish just added me, so cool. So I figured I'll, you know, like add my two cents right at the end. <laughs> cool. Cool. Please, um, but please continue. Okay. All right. So, so yeah. So I think that, that would work if we have at the, if the if the episode begins with the Nandor positively deciding, and so we introduce that element of the the active positive desire of the elves to be there in Middle-earth and to invest in Middle-earth, and we have the Nandor's connection with the Ents as a kind of a representative of, like, here's an example of how the presence of the elves in Middle-earth is, in fact, a blessing to Middle-earth, right? And how the native peoples of Middle-earth, like the Ents, um, you know, how the whole story of Middle-earth is enriched and blessed by having the elves there, right? Um, But Elway still saying, no, 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 we've got to go. But then he vanishes. And then, so we would end in doubt. Um, You know, should we be staying or should we be going? Because now we have, we basically end up with three factions, would end up with sort of three factions at the end. Those who are, who really want to stay because they love it there, the Nandor. Those who were cool with going and planning to go but now they want to stay because they're looking for Elway and they don't want to leave without him. And without him, their enthusiasm is less than 100%. And the third faction who are like, no, it's okay. Even without Elway, we're still committed to going. And that's Elway and, and Kierden at this point. Um, so again, the, 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 the drama there, you know, we can, ha- we can do things with particular characters to try to bring this and make it a little bit more personal. But again, I think the story... Um, I think the story is so. If the story of the third episode is is discord awakes, um, the story of the fourth is basically 
the choice of destinies. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. Choice of destinies. <laughs> I like it. Do you choose Middle Earth? Do you choose Valinor? Or do you end up in this middle place, like the Grey Elves, right, looking for Elway? Um. And meanwhile, the Noldor and Vanyar arrive in Valinor, and so that their arrival in Valinor can be kind of connected to always decision to go on, right? Um, so then the fifth episode, the story of the fifth episode, which has, you know, we'll still want to do some stuff with the Sindar searching and settling, maybe. And But, but the primary event of episode five will be the division between Olway and Círdan. That is the choice of Círdan the shipwright and the elves of the Falothrim to stay on the shores. <laughs> How is that different from the choice of the Nandor to stay? How should we make that different from the choice of the Nandor hmm. to stay? Having second thoughts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the fact that it like happens so late in there, the journey. Like, yeah. I mean, once they're there, like, well, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Maybe this isn't such a good idea. <laughs> right. Right. Or isn't it also you... that they fell in love with the sea? Yes, it that is. The, so, so that's the how there. it's like the Nandor, right? I mean, it, 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 it's not that it's nothing like the Nandor. I mean, the Nandor find, you know, Mirkwood and Lothlorien, and they love it. And they say, this is the place right. for us. There is certainly an element right. of Círdan coming to the coast and being like, hey, the shores of Middle-earth, this is the place for us, right? right but right, if it's right, right. just that, then we're just telling the same exact story again. Yeah. And I think it shouldn't be exactly the same, st like, same story, some, different uh, locale. Maybe there's some angst about that. In other words, he doubts his intuition, or, or there's a controversy or something about that. Because, I mean, that... he's more committed, right? I mean, he's gone all the way to the shore. I mean, he's like on the yeah. threshold of Valinor. Um, and so to say now at that point, oh, yeah, no, it's fine. We'll just... Um... Can, uh... I, I would say to make the difference, the decision needs to be a little bit more um, not as certain in his own mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there needs to be some yeah. conflict. Can you connect it to sort of Kierden's future role? Like, can we sort of exploit what we know about what his role in the future? You could make it. You could make it self-sacrifice. Right. A could choice to stay should, because because he knows. Stay here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe a choice to stay in order to 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 serve some future purpose. Like maybe it's some foresight that like. Yeah. Or a vision or something. I like yeah. that. I like that because because see here's the other thing. If we when you compare Kirtan and the Falathrim with the Nandor, the difference, the like uh, with their descriptions in the Silmarillion, the uh, the chief element that is present with Kirtan and is not with Lenwe and the Nandor, is the connection to the Valar, right? The 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 relationship with with Ase, right? Mm -hmm. The Nandor just fall in love with the land. There. Right. Um, so it's like if you think about it, like the further west not, they get, not Valor. Yes, it's it's, it's not Valor. It has nothing to do with the Valor themselves. Um, right. Kierden's relationship with the Valor is closer. He gets he gets close. He gets so the further west you go, like the more close you are in affiliation with the Valor. Like the it, it is only the 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 invitation of the Valor that is drawing them west in the first place, right? So like the mm -hmm. further west you get, the more firmly you are responding to the Valor. So Círdan is way closer to the Valar than the Nandor are, and we see that in his relationship with Ase and the others. So Dave, coming back to your idea there, then, 
and thinking of the role that Kierden has, Kierden is like the bridge, right? He's the link uh, between, he's like the conduit between the elves who all remained, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And Valinor. And that's, of course, going to be his role, right? The guy who sends them off in ships to the west. Um, all of the Nandor and all of the Sindar and all of them who stayed behind, they do get to go to Valinor, Valinor eventually, and it's Círdan who arranges that, right? So that makes it even more appealing to think that it's it's a deliberate choice that he's made. That, like, for the rest of time, he will remain on the coasts, and he will be... Um, he will not go to Valinor himself until all of the rest of the elves have because they're going to need a way of escape and he's going to provide that I like that I like that so he has this higher destiny now does Olway know about that is this done like are, do, do he and Olway like have a meeting about this and Olway's like man thank, thanks for taking one for the team I'm off to Valinor or does does Círdan not tell him and Olway's like dude seriously you're leaving now what the heck and Círdan's like sorry man I just got to hang out here on the coast and not tell him Hmm. Can't really think of a good reason why he would hide it from him. I mean, it kind of makes you know it, it makes for more tension, but uh, uh, I have to admit I get a little tired of. Yeah, I can't really think of a motivation. Yeah, yeah I, I get a little tired of like the idea that that kind of tension is the only thing that can drive a story. But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. So we have then in episode five this sort of further, this sort of further division, um, but that further division which sort of establishes that link, and of course we can see how this gives us lots of opportunity for taking that question, that overarching question: where is the de- where is the destiny of elves? Do they belong in Middle Earth or do they belong in the West? Um, you know, and it clearly enables us to take that further, right? Um, Kyrdan's role as the link between them and the and the recognition that even if even if Middle Earth is where they belong in the end like as things are going and the way things are going to go down the road that's not where they can stay it's not going to be their place um, mm-hmm. for better or for worse it is no longer their place and so they're they are going to have to leave and Kyrdan's going to be the one who uh, who does that so yeah Lydia I agree manufactured tension is really annoying I mean if you just have uh, if you just have a story in which everybody's happy and uh, and everybody agrees and uh, I mean that's not a very interesting story but um, but yes merely saying like let's let's introduce some uh, some interpersonal tension just because that makes it more interesting I dislike that idea um, this, the CW television network thrives off of that <laughs> yes yes <laughs> okay but so then what's the what's the story of episode six? Episode six, we we're talking. So this is Alqualon's the final stage. Then, um, by the end of episode five, we have the rest of the we have the rest of the Teleri um, in place, pretty much. We could even save the Green Elves. We could save Denethor, and the Green Elves crossing the Blue Mountains. We could save that for season three. Actually, I kind of like that idea. Let's let's not overcomplicate things. Let's stick with. Makes sense. Nandor, Sindar, Falathrim, Tamarian, Valinor. That's plenty. It's really plenty. It's 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 too early in the it's too early in the series. We're still trying to lock in people's loyalty. We don't want to start splitting hairs on um, yeah, on exactly. elf sub ethnicities. Exactly. 
we need to we need to yeah we do need to minimize that. Um, okay, so that sixth episode then, which is the journey by island um, of the, the 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 transformation of the fairy island into the lonely island, right? The rooting of it off the coast of Valinor, and mm-hmm. then the building of the swan ships and the final arrival um, of the. Uh, of the elves in of the Teleri of Olway and the rest of the Teleri the remnant I guess we should say of the Teleri to Alkalande and boy if we do this story right it really will begin to feel like just a remnant right um, and won't it make the kinslaying seem so much more tragic after all of these choices and all of their perseverance and they get there and then the Noldor slaughter oh, yeah. a whole bunch of them right um, anyway uh Um, Marie had also suggested integrating at that point also the division between the Vanyar and the Noldor. The Vanyar and the Noldor have been pretty much joined at the hip until this time. But remember, they live together in Tyrion, but then the um, Vanyar move out and they go to live on the slopes of Tiniquito with Manway and Varda. Um, so we could have essentially have the focus of episode six because it is on Valinor, it is on the, it is on the arrival of the elves in Valinor. Um, so, in as much as again as we're thinking about what is the ultimate fate and destiny of the elves, where is their home? Um, yeah, that would be. Hey, I even have an episode title for episode six. The episode title of episode six is Elven Home. <laughs> nice. Elven Home is the title of the episode because, of course, it's the establishment of Elven Home, which is Tolerasea, the Lonely Island. Um, but the the primary story, what we're exploring there in episode six, not the story, I guess I should say the theme of episode six, is how do the elves live when they are in Valinor? Like, you know, not just where do they live and how do they live together, but okay, so um, those who did respond to the invitation, how's that working out for them? I mean, pre-unrest, pre-unchaining of Melkor, right? So we don't have any of the strife or anything of that stuff happening yet. We've still not gotten to Finway's two wives. Um... But the elves living, you know, establishing themselves in Valinor, we still have not manufactured conflict, right? Not active strife, but there's still like some evidence of unrest. Remember that, well, there are also these references, we talked about this in the shaping of Middle-earth, that the elves actually have to breathe, like there's something about the air of Valinor, like the air of Valinor is different. Like there, there's not like actual air, there's, there, there's, there isn't oxygen in Valinor. Like, they actually have to go to the coast to breathe the air of Middle-earth. That's why the elves live where they do, on the shores, instead of inland. Because they can't handle it. Because it's not designed for elves. Um, and I'm not saying we have to actually do that with, like, the literal air and, like, have elves, like, walking around Valmar with gas masks and stuff like that. But what I am saying is we we explore that idea. So, okay, like, is this the destiny of elves? Like, when the elves do go to the west, what then? Um, and so we show, like, the, the 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 mere fact that they're moving around and resettling in different places and, and still, like, dividing among themselves and everything. Um, obviously, we need some kind of story. We need a plot. I've not hinted at anything like a plot of this episode. Um, but I have a theme. That's something, right? We can work with that, can't we? 
And that leads us to episode six, which is the or episode seven, which is the noontide of Valinor episode. And that's when we get Finway's two wives and the birth of Feanor. And, ah, and then we start getting into the personal politics. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Okay. Um, All right. I think that sounds... That, that works for an episode six, I think. Like, yeah. I, think that be, I think that should be interesting. Okay, good. Well, so, Dave, we already decided the second half of the season, we decided the second half of the season was way easier than the first half. So that was, you came in in the middle of me revisiting the first half of the season after yeah, yeah, the yeah. conversation. So, so okay, so I'll, I will end the episode, I'll end our session today, because I do have to go. I'll end our session today with a, with, with a recap of our 13 episodes. So episode one, at Quivienen, meeting Orame, Saruman, finding the awakening of the elves, right? We've got the, the initial setting of the scene there. Episode two, the, invi- the, 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 the decision of the Valar to invite them and the bringing of the ambassadors over to Valinor and the, the ambassadors returning super excited. Episode three, discord awakes among the elves. We have the great debate and, uh, and the uh, rancorous ill feelings that come out of that debate. Episode four, that choice of destinies episode, the choice of the Nandor to adhere to Middle Earth, uh, Elway's disappearance, so that subdivision of the of the Teleri into those three groups: those who choose to stay in Middle Earth because they positively love it, those who choose to go to Valinor anyway, and those who are in that middle ground who stay because they're looking for Elway and are not fully committed, kind of either really to Middle Earth as in itself or to Valinor. Episode five is that link to Valinor, Círdan as the bridge to Valinor, that division between Círdan and Olway. Episode 6 is the Elvenholm episode I just described, um, the elves setting themselves up there, and, uh, and the, the, that's like the transitional moment when we turn to, uh, to Valinor. Episode 7 is the noontide of Valinor episode, Fanor's two wives, or Finway's two wives, the birth of Fanor. Episode 8 is the trial of Melkor and his unchaining. Episode 9 is the making of the Silmarils and the growing pride of Feanor and like the beginnings of the unrest among the Noldor. Episode ten is the is uh, we can uh, my my title for that is Kinstrife. Uh, that's the actual when things flame up between Fingolfin and Feanor and he draws his sword on Fingolfin and is banished by the Valar. Episode eleven is then when the Valar get together and say what what's going on here, why, does, why is everything falling apart, and then they say it's all Melkor's fault, he goes on the lamb, he meets Feanor in banishment at Formanos, and, and Feanor slams the door in his face, and that episode ends with the forcible invitation of, uh, of when, when Feanor is fetched back uh, to, uh, to Valinor for the uh, Feast of Reconciliation, the Feast of Reconciliation is the theme of episode 12, when Fingolfin uh, is genuinely reconciled and Feanor is not genuinely reconciled, and Melkor's wrath, or malice and wrath is finally revealed when he goes to Ungoliant's cave and says, I want to trash the joint. And then episode 13 begins with the death of the trees and goes through the thieves' quarrel, and everything looks pretty bad in Valinor and we have things set up to have Feanor start off the rebellion of the Noldor in the beginning of season three. There's our recap. Nice. I, I, I like it. Yeah. It's really, it's really remarkable. I mean, the the kind, the stuff in the later part of the season, of course, will make like that sort of like Game of Thrones quality, right? 
interpersonal politics and whatnot. But it's really quite remarkable that, we're, that, that, that the uh, that the elves migration like could be um, could be spun into like a potentially compelling television. <laughs> yeah, it is. That that's obviously the big challenge of this season, right? The first half is going to be the big challenge of the season. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like what what we've done in making this outline is to show how we could make it into like thematically compelling. You know, mm-hmm. now we've got to actually make it fit into characters and plots when we actually go through mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, but plenty but still, of... even thematically compelling is pretty remarkable. Yeah, yeah, and I think it, and and to make it into to to give it a kind of shape, right? So it's not it's not just. And then over thousands of years, they wandered for a long time and, you know, didn't really do anything of note until they finally got to the shore, right? That's, um, yeah. that's, that's, I think what we have is much more compelling than that. <laughs> so that's something anyway. Okay, good. All right. Well, I should run. I have, uh, I have my, 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 my other appointment to attend to here. Uh, so thanks. And Dave, actually, you missed this at the beginning. So next time, we're not going to do episode one next time. Um, we're going to do, we're going to start with we're, next ep- next session will be sort of a brainstorming of design concepts and things. We'll go back and revisit these. Um, uh, the, the, we're not going to do a casting discussion, but we're going to go over these different people groups and sets and things, and we'll talk about uh, some of those general uh, brainstorming, those general guidelines and, and conceptions that we have for what things should look like, what might music be like, all those things to kind of give people ideas to work with and to be developing as we then go through and work out everything in detail, and then we can come back and review it at the end. So, uh, Awesome. Anybody who has ideas about, so uh, the, for, uh, in the discussion boards for this time, definitely, um, definitely be thinking about what are the, um, the 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 general concepts. How would you want to picture these? Do you have a picture of, of what we could do with the Nandor? What we you know and and the Avari and what we should make them look like and uh, and particular characters that we might want to emphasize and what they might look like and. Um, and what kind of sets we want, and all, all, all those kinds of issues we're going to be talking about uh, next time, and if we need it, the time after that as well. All right? Sounds good to me. Very good. Thanks. Glad you could join us here at the end, Dave. That was, uh, that was great yeah. to, to yeah, see you just that. in time to rescue Kieran and the Shipwright. That was awesome. <laughs> well, I get a, you know one good, one good idea per session, so I was... Kieran <laughs> so, right. at the last minute to squeeze it in, right? Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Very good. Okay, very good. So thanks, everybody, for joining us, and I look forward to uh, uh, doing our design concepts next time and continuing to, to try to, you know, embody these, uh, you know, these because this part of the Silmarillion is so impersonal in so many ways, so difficult to conceive of, and, um, and I'm really excited to go through and, and, and give it, you know, a more concrete life here so our our design discussion next time is going to play a really really big part in that so i hope you all be thinking about that i look forward to talking to you next time and in the meantime thanks for listening and godspeed